the best time of the day show. As it's Christmas time, I thought well, what we do with the podcast is have six of the best, six of the choicest, the funniest, the rudest podcasts, and we string them all together so you could. It's a good way, actually, of um, playing them to maybe to that auntie who you don't see. Probably keep away from the small ears, but certainly the maiden aunt will really love it. So have a think about that and tell everybody about the six of the best, the six best, especially for you. It's a Christmas gift from us. Well, I don't know about you, but when you were a kid, did you have a pet? I know that lots of people you know, would write to Santa at this time of year, say, dear Santa, can I have a horse or a pony or something like that? Which, you know, if you lived in uh, an inner city like I did, the chance of that happening was slightly less than zero. So what do you have? What is a family-friendly pet? Because, you know, dogs and cats and things like that are out, really, because uh, we were away a lot. So therefore, it had to be something small. And of course, there's peer pressure, isn't there? You know, mates had guinea pigs, which make that silly noise. Or they have rabbits and things like that. But they're a bit big and you need a big garden and a run and everything like that for for a rabbit. So most kids had hamsters with the occasional gerbil. Now, I've never been a joiner. And also the fact is I've always done things on whims. I've never really had a plan. If you want a pet hamster or whatever, you have to sort of badger your mum and dad until they go down the pet shop and get a hamster or maybe a gerbil. But I was away at school, so therefore what happened was we actually had a little pet house where kids could have pets. Due to the fact someone left a cage open one night, there appeared to be suddenly thousands and thousands of mice running around. So therefore I thought, right, OK, uh... There appears to be a sort of half-wild mouse. And so I think um, the chap sold me this half-wild mouse for sixpence uh, with, a, ca- with a, a rather battered old cage as well. So therefore I had this grey mouse, which I used to feed it on sort of stuff that mice eat. And Caramac, it used to like uh, Caramac as well. Every so often one of the pets would die and the chap who'd sold me this uh, this half-wild mouse for sixpence would then examine the corpse of whatever it was and look at it and then send sagely, yes, died of constipation. So constipation was ripping through this pet house at school, uh, carrying off all sorts of creatures left, right and centre. Uh, but I had this mouse and I doted on this mouse. The mouse was called Henry. At the end of term, I used to take this rather battered old cage back and it would shove it under the stairs. Henry liked being in the dark and uh, <laughs> we just changed the water before it got green and added some sunflower seeds and maybe the odd bit of caramac and he was happy as Henry, really. Now, the thing is, if you've got a pet, you like to show your pets, don't you? Now, that's why that's why Cruff exists you know people can show their dogs off so therefore i used to carry henry around with me in my blazer pocket and uh, he seemed quite happy in there and he'd uh, also sort of just generally run because he used to wear a sort of blazer and he had a sort of like a jumper underneath and he'd like be on the jumper and he'd run all over the jumper etc now what i didn't realize this is they never taught they never taught this is in biology classes is that unlike other characters uh, of this nature Mice are incontinent. So, in fact, what they do, everywhere they go, they leave a small trail of urine. So there's old Henry. He spends a lot of his time in my blazer pocket. And the rest of the time, he's running all over my all over my jumper. Now, it's like if you go into a room, right, and there's a smell in the room, if you sit there for a few minutes, your nose... It's like those adverts say you go nose blind. You can't smell it any longer. So therefore, putting on these clothes, because we were at school day in and day out, I didn't notice. However everybody else did so all my friends found me terribly offensive because i smelt of mouse wee so i i gained i thought the undeserved nickname of mouse wet and so therefore for the 
Oh, until Henry escaped one night, I think he was let out, frankly, by people who couldn't stand the stench of me any longer. I was just known as Mouse Wet. And they, you know, people would go, oh, here, come, oh, here comes Mouse Wet. Because, ah, oh, shut up. You know, you just, you just got a hamster. How dull are you? You know, at least he's clean. But I miss that mouse to this day. Now, the joy of a crackpot idea is that it actually isn't a crackpot idea if you think about it long and hard enough. I'm not a very sporty person, so I don't really know about the beautiful game football, right? It seems there's an awful lot of shouting and no one seems to be very happy. A friend of mine, for instance, is a, a whole city supporter and he's a proper football supporter, right? He supports them through thick and thin. He's supported them since he was a child and he's a season ticket holder and he goes to every single home or away game. And I'll phone him up and say, how are you? He says, oh dreadful why what happened well Hull City were playing in sort of Portsmouth or whatever got in the car drove all the way there from Hull watched them lose and drove all the way back again I said you know what you're not enjoying your life are you he said no you just don't understand football you just don't understand football I said oh, okay fair enough so I started thinking not knowing about football really how it could be improved so I thought to make it more exciting maybe they're there's not enough action going on because he's either going from one end to the other. So I thought, why not make it three teams on a triangular pitch? OK, so it's a bit like Star Trek's three-dimensional chess, isn't it? Chess could be boring, three-dimensional chess. Now, that's a real mind fuck, that is, isn't it? So here we go with tri-team football. And I put it out to you, and you came back because you know about football. You came out with some brilliant ideas. And uh, we even had the... I, I've forgotten what they are now, unfortunately, but the actual positions. I know there was right wedge and left wedge were two of the... Uh, uh, two. Of the, I'm sure we called the goalkeeper custodian like they used to back in the Victorian days or whatever. But the other thing about it was great eight men per or women per per team triangular pitch three goals and because it's triangular i gather there's no need for the offside rule which of course foxes are and i think that the offside rule puts a lot of people off because if that sort of you're trying to bluff your way in football in the pub when there's something going on and uh, you don't know the offside right you'll be looked down upon by the rather hearty people shouting yes at the screen for no apparent reason thinking they can't hear you they're miles away yes and uh, so the idea is you've got the three teams, eight members each, three goals, no offside rule, and, and this is the marketing strategy, this is why it's only a matter of time before Old Trafford or even Wembley, for instance, is a triangular pitch, because it's all about money, football these days, isn't it? If you've got three teams, you need to have two away strips. So therefore, you can sell the the, the the club shop will be selling two away strips every season, as well as the home strip. So every little kid that wants to go as a mascot is going to have to have three sets of uh, of soccer strips. So therefore, they'll make an absolute fortune. And so far, it's sort of fallen on deaf ears. But I think it's only a matter of time before. Though I did actually notice someone actually emailed me something uh, some time ago saying that they'd seen some mention of the idea of having uh, three teams on the pitch at once. But I don't think it was as well thought through as I even had the name Tri Team Football. You know, it's the way forward. Believe me. So, how did I start out? What was my first job? Well, I had a number of jobs to begin with, but I think probably the first one, I knew that entertainment was in my blood when I applied for a job at Dudley Zoo as a green man. Now, they had enough animals, real bona fide animals, but they wanted something to make it a bit more exciting, I suppose, because 
you know i suppose the average lemur doesn't do an awful lot so they thought they'd sort of make it a bit more exciting by getting some sort of live action thing. This was in the 70s. So uh, when you think about it these days, if you go to a museum, there's always someone in costume doing something. Um, so they wanted me to be a gorilla. They had they had their own gorillas, but they wanted me to be a green one in the land of the dinosaurs. Now, the land of the dinosaurs was an area of basically wasteland, really, that they thought they ought to do something to make it into an attraction. So they got some from somewhere some fiberglass dinosaurs there was a, a a stegosaurus and there was a a tyrannosaurus rex and there was something else which i can't remember or can't identify and their heads wobbled very slightly and there was um the noise they made of roaring was actually an eight track tape cartridge which i used to fire up in the uh, the ticket kiosk uh, when i first arrived in the morning uh, of lions and tigers roaring played backwards to give you that authentic tyrannosaurus rex roar one of the other things i had to do was also was to light the volcano yeah no self-respecting land of the dinosaurs is without a volcano which was consisted of um a inside a fiberglass volcano which is quite small was actually uh, an oil drum with grass cuttings and sump oil in there on a good day you could get so much smoke that people would be in and out of the attraction in seconds flat but the green man idea was i had to sit there very quietly by the side of the track wearing this gorilla outfit which was not quite as exciting as you thought because in fact it was just an ordinary pair of dungarees where you know that fake grass they have outside greengrocers to put the apples and pears on it was that which had been glued to it and i had a pair of gloves with the similar stuff on and a gorilla mask in a balaclava helmet but there was no gorilla feet so i was wearing plimsolls so if you imagine a green gorilla looking really not very gorilla like uh, with steam escaping from the eye holes of the mask because it was so hot in there it was, just, it was the height of summer i'm wearing gloves for crying out loud and wearing plimsolls uh, not very convincing in the world of gorillas it's scarcely gorillas in the mist uh, but the job was is when people stared at me for a while i was supposed to go boo and fright the life out of them uh, which gave people a shock other people go, oh, I knew you were going to do that. Or on one occasion, a bloke tried to punch me because his wife had got such a shock that the baby had fallen out of the pram and kids would throw stones at me. However, I had help. Not human help, but animal help. Because as long as well as, as the gorilla, that was me, there were Cyrus Cranes and an emu. Now, the emu was my friend. The emu would see if there was any bad behaviour going on, put its head down and run at the perpetrator. You have never seen so many schoolboys run quite so quickly as they... For their five pence or whatever, they didn't get their money's worth. Come in, throw a stone at me, you'll get a nasty peck from the emu. And that was... I knew at that particular point that show business was in my blood. And so at the end of the season, I had to go and ask the manager because I had a tax bill i had a tax demand thing i had to fill in a tax return and i said what am i going to put down i can't really put green gorilla down and he went you think you've got problems there's a girl who's over by the the elephant house she's a chocolate frog well the podcast today actually contains the worst language the worst word you know that word that no one likes to utter but sometimes some people do because it's the only way they can really make their feelings felt i'm talking about the c bomb so if you're a nervous look away now 
okay and make sure little ears are covered because this is a rude one um we see all over social media these days people being horrible to one another and being vile and uh, trolling and all this sort of stuff but it's always been like that however before the days of the internet people had to write and tell you how much they disliked you and if you're on the radio as i have been for many a long year uh you you find people you know i think it was spike milligan talking to an actor who's came up to to him and said spike people seem to take an instant dislike to me i wonder why that is and he said well it saves time and the whole idea of you know you say hello and i think terry wogan actually once said this you say hello on the radio and something like 35 percent of the audience immediately hate your guts 20 percent love you to death and the rest of them just don't care so you know once i started doing this i you know i would get letters through so like, oh alex really liked the show which is nice but of course there's the other side to it as well and so this is going back to the the late 80s this is and uh, i used to get quite a number of uh, very strange also working in the middle of the night you sometimes got some rather unusual uh unusual listeners um one uh, appeared to think that i was a doctor which is not not true that'll be for another podcast by the way and another one claimed that she was the reincarnation of the skater uh, sonia heine and sent me her pigtail but then again that'll be for another podcast i guarantee so that's another reason to keep listening but the best piece of offensive post i ever received was so wonderful that actually this person i think it may have been a poet laureate because they actually it, it works in every or it is a haku i don't know it works in every way it's pure poetry it's concise it's to the point and it's so wonderfully strong so one day sitting in the office i opened a letter and i thought you know, it had some rather crazy writing on it and also you could usually tell when you were getting to someone's wasn't going to be polite was if they hadn't actually affixed a stamp to it so hoping the bbc would cough up so it, Anyway, I opened this piece of paper, the letter, I opened the piece of paper, and there, in rather febrile handwriting, I will admit, but it was actually, it was strong, it was in block capitals, it said, Alex Lester, you are a cunt, I hope you die a horrible death, fuck you. And you know what? It was so offensive that I just howled and i've had i've had that piece of paper i carried it around for a while i thought no this piece of paper is too valuable and i actually now have it framed i have it framed at home and it was great it used to be in my what i call my toilet of doom which is another podcast in itself and it was there so every time i went to the lab if ever i was feeling you know if someone said love your show you could go into the loo and go Alex Lester, you're a cunt. I hate me die. Robert death, fuck you. And actually, that put into perspective, not everybody likes you. I suppose it's like um, em- Roman emperors, wasn't it? If they came back from a victorious campaign and they were having their victory parade, they'd have a slave whispering in their ear going, remember, you're not a god, you're not immortal. So that's the equivalent of it. I mentioned a friend of mine uh, who worked for a top-shelf magazine for many years, and they hadn't got an awful lot to do it was a monthly magazine but only took about a fortnight to put together so they had two weeks really with just sitting around twiddling their thumbs and getting extremely bored but had to come in every day and so they'd invent all sorts of different things to pass the time but also the way they were treated they caused brooding resentment so therefore there were a whole selection of three very cynical men in this office and so they would try and think of new ways to to take out their their to vent their spleens and one of them was by invention of the death bus now the death bus as a concept is this is it is a bus right 
and it is hell-bent on destruction. There's nothing that's going to stop it careening over a precipice and everybody on the bus will be killed. The driver sitting at the front will be killed even more slowly and horribly than the rest of the people on the bus. So figures from entertainment, sport and politics, etc., would board this bus. And depending on how they went, whether they went up in these guys' estimation or down, would either move to be the driver or to be let off or to stop closer to the ravine. And for some bizarre reason, That's Life, the TV show, was big at the time. So Esther Ranson was the death bus driver for years and years and years. She did nothing in reality to deserve this accolade, but she was there. And sometimes they would think, you know, we, we're hating so many people today. You know, they suddenly discover their team loss. So the whole of Aston Villa would suddenly, there's not enough seats. We'll have to get them off the death bus onto the death train, which would, could, could contain far more people they disliked. And they go, oh, actually, you know, we're feeling a bit today. We're back to the death bus again. And they go, well, you know what? Esther Ransom, I watched That's Life over the weekend and it, she did some really good stuff there. Yeah. However, I watched up the elephant around the castle. Jim Davidson, he's the death bus driver this week. And so it, and they would spend hours with a, and they would actually have a plan as well with a number of seats where, where they could all sit. Well, he's going to be sitting next to Peter Jennings and Kevin Keegan's on the other side. Why Kevin Keegan? He's a nice man. I met him. He's lovely. No, no, it doesn't matter. He must have done something. He may. Uh, we didn't like his perm. That was a good enough reason to put him on the death bus. So there was no logic behind it, but it made three embittered men feel so much better, albeit momentarily. It's Christmas time, mistletoe and wine. Welcome back to the podcast. And uh, I thought, as it's getting towards that time of year, I'd tell you the time that I decided to help out at Christmas as a Christmas postie. Yes, the student postman, possibly the most underrated job there is, and also one of the ones I hated the most. So I had to get up at the crack of dawn, which is not good for a student anyway, let's face it. My mum, bless her, would actually make us a fried breakfast. My sister did it as well. And uh, we get on the bus and we go over to Winsbury in the West Midlands. Now, you go to the sorting office and being only five foot six and a half and at that point wearing nine stone is that when someone gives you a bag which is about twice your weight and nearly drags on the ground full of parcels and Christmas cards and things like that and you go out into the freezing cold rain, you're not feeling particularly good about it. And then having to go around some of the roughest estates in Wensbury and post the letters. Now, the thing was, in the gloom, as it started to get light, you'd see things generally written on people's gateposts, like, beware of the dog, we've got four Rottweilers, or Rittweilers, because no one could spell either, or one which actually had on their garage doors or shed door, it said, I hope you can make it to the letterbox and back in 30 seconds, because our Alsatian can do it in 32 and whenever I saw any of these, uh, they must have thought that uh, Christmas hadn't come to there. Uh, Santa hadn't visited their uh, abode that Christmas. Because if ever I saw a sign like that, I just posted this stuff back in the letterbox again. Uh, because I, I, occasions when I first started doing it, I actually posted the letters to that house in the letterbox of the house next door, thinking they'll take it round. But on one occasion, as I was going down the garden path, I goes, Oi! What? You finished it. Check the next door. Go, oh, right. OK, fine. Then I post them in the letterbox. But the thing is, be nice. Otherwise, you won't get any posts. And that was the thing. And so you'd sit there going, oh, God, I hope we haven't got to go to... And the same round. And off you would go again and think, what's going to happen today? And is it going to be the day that I actually get bitten by a dog? And to be honest, I think because I have such a, a very strong self-preservation instinct... 
the whole time that I did that Christmas job, that was so, so winter of 72, 73, 1973, I didn't get bitten once. I did hear about uh, a, a postie actually going and uh, posting something letterbox and being savaged by a dog. His fingers being savaged by a dog on the other side. So he hammered on the door and a lady answered, clutching a tiny, tiny little dog and went, your dog's just done this to my finger. And she went, oh, don't worry, he's quite clean and closed the door again. Uh, so, you know, people don't really understand how dangerous it is. Now they have these sort of... Um, animal taser things which we can't hear because my dad as you know from previous podcasts if not check him out always gets bitten on the ass by dogs so when he used to go out walking in the countryside would take one of these special little tasery things and what it was it was actually a high-pitched sound it was like a handheld thing device which if a big dog came rushing towards me intent on chomping on his meaty rump he'd press the button and the thing would go and run away because it's a high-pitched sound that uh, uh, dogs don't like apparently uh, all he had to do was find a deaf dog and all bets are off but luckily i don't think he did on that i think that was quite effective anyway certainly uh, i wasn't bitten the whole time uh, i was a christmas postie and f- like a fool and wanting the money i signed up for the following year and luckily there was a downturn so therefore we students weren't required so there we are that was my one attempt at being a postman it's not a job for me frankly the best time of the day show is back monday please please stay Best Time of the Day show is a Loading Zone production. La-di-da. 